Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're about to jump into another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule, but before we do, guys, we are talking about parables today, and it's a story. So, like, what what's some of your your favorite stories growing up, like books? Oh, well, when I was real little... I think my favorite story that I wanted to have read to me, like when I was young, was Are You My Mother? Did you ever see that? It's about a little, like a little bird who falls out of a nest and wanders around and asks, you know, all the different objects, you know, like cars and trees and whatever. Are you my mother? And it finally meets a big, like, construction machine. And I just thought it was so funny, like, thinking of this bird, like, being like, are you my mother? And it was a snort or whatever. Like, I've never heard never that. No, I've never I've heard, heard of that book. P.D. Eastman. It's like a classic from the 50s. Uh, as, I, as I grew up, Narnia, of course, was, was a favorite. So I'm yeah. remembering a cartoon where a little, uh, it was like a duck or a duckling would walk around and go, are you my mama? <laughs> it's a little bit like that, but I didn't ever use that Wait voice. Wait a minute. Are yeah. you talking about the same book that Clayton was no. just talking about? Walking around, are you my mama? It, are you my mother? It was like a, it was like a, I think it was like a swan. That like got separated like a, like from its duckling? mom. Yeah, like that. Yeah, but oh, well, but it was a, but it was yeah. a different kind of. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't the ugly duck. No, this. Like, yeah, this is not. Ugly duck. Are you sure you're not thinking about a Tom and Jerry cartoon? Maybe it could have been Because that like does it. happen in an episode of Tom and it Jerry. It could have been a Tom and Jerry cartoon. Yeah, maybe. But you're asking us about books, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah I know. Yeah, but kids, I'm just saying kids, that's the only thing I can. That's the only thing I can relate it to. So yes, kid books. Although we were we were having a throwback conversation today in the church hallway about old cartoons, we were we were wondering if we put Woody Woodpecker. Do you remember Woody Woodpecker mm-hmm. yes. on a screen in the church? If little kids would know it, He's or how about this throwback, no. Heckle and Jekyll? Do you guys remember that? Uh, oh, Clay, Clayton no. is scrunching his face. That's a no. Caitlin, you remember Heckle and Jekyll? I don't know how that's possible. Wait, how's it? She's the youngest in the room. I don't know. Uh, so what's Heckle and Jekyll? Uh, this doesn't sound good. They were two crows, and oh, they were yes, they were um, snarky, sarcastic, always causing trouble. Yeah, I re- <laughs> yes, I remember now. I didn't. Know I don't, I don't know name. if a cartoon like that mm-hmm. would fly in uh, 2022. Uh. Heckle and Jekyll is one of those cartoons that, like, when you watch it, you think, oh, those were the kinds of things that happened in our culture 50 years ago that were very inappropriate, that probably should have gone away. But yeah. So do you have a favorite kids book, either yeah. of you? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I started talking yeah, about Heckle, okay. and, started talking about Heckle <laughs> yeah. and Jekyll. Uh, the ones I remember are, there was a series of books, and I was not much of a reader as a kid, by the way. Uh, I did not read for fun, except there was a series of books called Danny Dunn and the Mystery of, and it was, so they were like, you know, preteen yeah. mystery type books. Uh, the books I most enjoyed reading to my kids, Everyone Poops. Oh, yes. That book is just <laughs> so good. One hump camel makes a one hump poop. Two hump camel makes a two hump poop. <laughs> oh, Just kidding. Uh, and Muba la la la. Yes. No. Reading yes. that, reading that book to my kids. Like eventually, you memorize these bedtime yes. books for kids, and then you don't need the book anymore, and mm-hmm. you can just. And I, I often wonder how differently fathers or mothers read those books to their kids because you you do it with your own cadence, you do it with your own voices. Oh, I think it would be. I think it'd be fun one day to have a bunch of parents. I'm just thinking of a thinking of something right now that we could do at the church. <laughs> Have all of the parents submit audio files of how they read those books. Oh my gosh! To, just to <laughs> hear the fun. differences, that would be fun. Would my, be when fun. I, there's a, there's a book I read to my kids or used to when they were a little bit littler called "My Love Will F- uh, Follow You" or "My Love Will Find You." And it's like, you know, it's very cute. It's very sweet, right? Like, my love will find you if you go here or there or there. But we realize that if you replace the word love with fart, 
it is the funniest book in the world. Oh, gosh. <laughs> My fart will follow you wherever you go. And so that's how we read that book. It's very different when dad reads it, when mom reads it. So Ob- Obnoxious yeah. dads right here. Nikki, uh, do you have a favorite? Yes. Mine. So when I was a kid growing up, I loved to read Goosebump books, which I have no idea why, because I hate scary, anything scary now. Um, maybe that's why. Uh, but also Stuart Litter, Little. Stuart. <laughs> Stuart Little. Little. Yeah. The book with the little mouse and the little bird. I yeah. loved it. What was the bird's name? Uh, Margot, I think. Wow, that's a good wow, memory. Yeah, actually, I didn't know. I've yeah. never read Stuart Little books. So, all right. Well, that was good. Lots of uh, inappropriate farting and pooping over here. Uh, Ferris is our comma guy. I feel like, I feel like cl- what Clayton did to that kid's book <laughs> was more crass and inappropriate. The book I was referring to was actually titled Everyone Poops. It's true. This is, this is true. Educational. Theme it's educational. Of the book. You know, educational book. It's true. Clayton true. manipulated what was supposed to be a heartwarming, loving book into something gross. Oh, my kids felt very special by me doing mm-hmm. that. All right. What are we reading? All right, so we are in Luke chapter 12, and we were talking about kids' stories because we're going to look at some parables, which aren't necessarily kids' stories, but they are stories that Jesus tells to make a point. And we picked this text today, not because it's particularly tricky, but here's what I found interesting as the comma guy for this episode. Jesus tells a parable, and then Peter asks Jesus a question about his parable, and he answers Peter's question with another parable. So we're going to read this uh, whole text today, which includes the first parable, Peter's question, and then the second parable. So we are in Luke chapter 12, and this is starting at what verse again? Uh, 35. There we mm-hmm. go. Clayton's right. reading. Go for it. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. All right, so Clayton's going to stop reading there. So we're going to talk about this parable, and then we're going to read Peter's follow-up question, and then the next parable, which is Jesus' answer to Peter's follow-up question. So on this parable, we're going to move on to observation. What do you see in this parable? Uh, So for me, I I feel like there's like two... There's two things that kind of confuse me in here. Um, One is... The first part of it talks about like a servant waiting for his master to come home. And then it talks about a thief coming to break into the house. Um, And so I'm like, are those connected? Are they two separate things? Uh, So that was, that was just one thing that stood out to me um, was what are they, are are those things connected? Are they the same thing? You know? Yeah, that's, that's good. Cause I think that actually um, like it gets at one of the principles of, of parables. Um, one of the things that we talk about when we read parables is that um, you should look for the main point of a parable, not you know get bogged down in all the details. Mm-hmm. And these two kind of back-to-back images both have a similar main point, right? So like if the master's coming, but the servants have to be ready, but they don't know when he's coming, or the thief is coming, but you don't know when the thief's coming. Like it seems like that's one of the main ideas, right? Like Like not knowing exactly when this thing is going to come, but you need to be ready for it. Mm-hmm. Right. What else do you see? Um, I I think the just the simple repeating words of servant and master. Yep. 
Um, it's clear that there's something about this relationship here that that Jesus is using. Like he he could have picked a lot of different things, but he picked um, servants and masters for that. So I thought that was uh, kind of noticeable. Yeah, I'll point out something here, and by pointing it out, I'm probably moving one step back in the comma method to context. But when you're reading parables in the Bible, Jesus is telling a story from everyday life that he thinks the audience would be able to relate to. And so there is some assumed understanding of the things he's drawing an analogy from. But that may not always be readily apparent to us, which is why, once again, a good study Bible that has some study notes that might tip you in onto some of the things that are uh, going on in a parable culturally um, so what's going on here in terms of the master being at a wedding wedding banquet? Uh, wedding banquets back then would likely uh, start after sundown. So you're talking about something that's starting at night and go into the early morning or next morning. Uh, so that's why you would have like the master returning from the wedding banquet to his own house and the servants waiting for the master to come back. And you don't know when it's going to happen. It might be two in the morning. Uh, during what might be considered like second watch uh, of the night or close to sunrise, which would be like third or fourth watch, depending on you know how, do you, how you divide up watches. Different people do it differently. You could have three watches of the night, four watches of the night, but that's pretty much what's going on. So if you're ever reading a parable and you don't understand the, the cultural stuff that Jesus is referring to, just see if the study notes in your Bible will help you. Yeah. And, and also with the cultural things, if you can't figure all of them out, Sometimes we get distracted by those things, and you can still back up, and usually the main points are, are clear. You might get distracted by some of those things, but um, you, you usually can find the, the heart of it. Uh, one thing that, that I thought was striking, so when we're looking at the something striking thing, is in verse 37, uh, the, something really unexpected happens. It says, the master will dress himself to serve. So instead of saying, like, you'd think, master comes home. And he's, his servants are there, and he's saying, "Oh man, I'm just I'm worn out from this this wedding banquet. I, you know, either I need you know breakfast because it's early in the morning, or prepare my bed, or whatever whatever a servant would be doing." Um, instead, it says, "No, the master is going to show up. He's going to dress himself to serve. He's going to sit the servants down at the table, and he's going to wait on them." And so there's this kind of reversal that's happening there. That's very unexpected. I'm not completely sure what to make of it, but it was one of those things. I'm like, "Oh, that's not that's not normal." Although it did make me think about Jesus. I mean. There are multiple times where Jesus does this kind of, you call me master, but actually I'm going to serve you uh, kind of thing. Um, so so it's definitely on brand for, for Jesus, but it's still pretty surprising. Yeah, I think, I think that there was one, one Roman festival back in those days that actually reversed roles. Uh, so if you have the master of a household, so... Back then, you had the master of the household, so you had family members living in the household. You also had all of the slaves or the servants, and those slaves and servants had different kind of ranks. So you might have someone that was kind of lower level. Uh, you might also have slaves that actually managed and over were the overseer for all the other slaves and servants in the house, right? So, uh, but as as Clayton just said, it was never the case that the master was serving the servants. It was always the servants serving the master there. There was one Roman festival, I forget the name of it, where it was kind of like a, a role play, where the whole point of the festival was they just completely flipped it. Hmm. Yeah. The, but like, outside of that, this is completely abnormal. In some ways, that festival was intended to reinforce that, like only one day a year, you know what I mean? And right. that's what was so silly about it, was like, no, this is the normal order of things. These people serve these people and not the reverse, you know? And it's like, you get one day of outlet for this, but otherwise, keep your place, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so if I asked you guys, what is the main thrust of this parable? What would you say? We're moving on to message. I just did that without saying it out loud. <laughs> hey, in this podcast, we are demonstrating the comma method, context, observation, message, meditation, and application. We're moving on the message. I thought we're going to go to the next yeah, one and yeah. then do the message. Um, for me, it would be, I, I think it's kind of, it's said right there is, is to be dressed and ready. Um, no, don't be, don't be caught not ready, you know? Yeah, it's, it's, it's always anticipate that Jesus could come back. Yeah. I mean, you know, that the at the very end of it, he talks about the son of man will come at yeah. an hour when you Verse don't expect. 40. So he kind of kind of gives a little bit of a sum up at the end. Mm-hmm. And so the son of man is, a, is Jesus referring to himself saying, I'm going to show up. I'm going to return at a time when you're, you're not going to be able to expect it, but you should always be ready for it. Mm. All right. So is that what Jesus is saying here? When I come back again? Well, <laughs> they, there are there are some New Testament scholars that would say uh, some of these parables refer to things in his first coming uh, or his ascension or whatever, but it seems like this is one where uh, he's gone away and come back, so. Okay. What do you think? Uh, I'm not, I'm not, that makes sense to me. I'm not a hundred percent sure. We're probably going down a theological road that we ought not in a, in a podcast episode. <laughs> um but the last verse, he tells the parable, which is obviously all about being ready. The servants need to be prepared for the master to come back from the wedding banquet. Mm-hmm. You also need to be on watch and be ready, right? Because a thief could break into your house. So it's about watchfulness, being ready, being prepared. And then Jesus says, you also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him, which he could be saying, I'm here now. You didn't expect yeah. me to be here now. Um, so be ready for the fact that Messiah has come. Yeah, and, and when you think about the fact that throughout his ministry, he is critiquing religious leaders for not recognizing him, uh, that also could be there. There There's sometimes these like dual things of when Jesus is talking about showing up, you like he's there are parallels between when he comes the first time and when he comes the second time. So uh, this could be one of those situations as well. Okay, so let's, let's go with what uh, most of Christianity thinks about this parable, which is he's talking about his second coming. You need to be watchful. You need to be ready because Jesus is going to come back one day. Now, Peter asks this question, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? So is this just coaching for us 12 disciples or are you talking to every single person, which by the way, would include everyone listening to this podcast? So does is this for you or is this just for the disciples? And so now Jesus answers with another parable, which Clayton is going to read. Verse 42, the Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows." From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. 
All right, so now we're going to start the comma method over. We don't have to do context again because we've already talked about some of the cultural things, what's going on. Observation, what do you see in this parable? Uh, well, I think the obvious thing is that he switches it from the server, the servant and master talk to like a, a, a manager, uh, overseer type thing, which is what you mentioned earlier. Um, kind of like a person who is there taking care of the other servants that are like under them. Right. So they're managing. So it's in, it's the similar situation. The master is gone away. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the servants is put in charge. They're a higher level servant and they're in charge of administrating all the other servants. Yep. Yeah. If you've, if you've read the, the book of Genesis, you know, the story of Joseph where he gets put, he's a, he's a slave. He's in, he's, you know, not like in charge of anything, but he gets put over the other slaves in the house. It's similar kind of situation to that. Um, I, I think the it's really interesting to look at the mindset of the the wicked servant here, the you know the manager who's beating the other servants. He says, "My master is taking a long time in coming." There's a, a sense of um, well, he went away, but now he's just sort of. <laughs> I mean, it strains the realism of the of the passage to think that the owner of the house would never come back. But that is the experience of lots of people to say, "Well, Jesus left and." He said he'd come back, but he sure doesn't see. It's been, you know, two thousand years. Let's let's be honest. Like I thought, you know, the you know return might be sooner than this, and so there is that. Well, maybe maybe it's not really going to come. Maybe there's not going to be a judgment. Maybe there's not going to be, uh, you know, anything. I can just do what I want. What else do we see? There's a very explicit warning um, in verses forty-seven through forty-eight that basically. You know, if if the master finds the servant not doing what he's doing when he knows he's supposed to be doing it, that's it's not going to be good for him. And even for people who do something deserving of punishment, but they, but they don't realize that they're doing something wrong, even there's going to be you know consequences for that too. It's a very clear warning to me of of saying like if you know God's will and you choose not to do it, um, there's going to be a consequence for it. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting that Jesus distinguishes between those who, those who have more information and those who have less, you know, yeah. that there's a, a sense of you're, you're, still, you're responsible for your behavior, but it's also based on what you had to, you know, what hand you've been dealt, uh, which is a, an in- interesting one. That line of thinking goes along with the scripture that says, to whom much is given, much is required. And it would make sense to us. So if you have the, the slave in this, in this household who had been given much, much authority to oversee everything that's going on in the household, to pass out the food allowances and to make sure everyone's doing what they're supposed to be doing, it would make sense in our minds that when the master comes back, that that servant would receive a greater punishment for not doing what he was told to do because he had been given much versus another another servant in the household who might be on the, on the lowest tier who doesn't have... A, all of that authority, B, all of the knowledge that the head servant has, but there's still punishment. There's still expectation of that person being a faithful servant, uh, but to whom much is given, much is required. I think that actually might connect with Peter's question. Mm -hmm. So Peter's saying, all right, Jesus, you're talking to us, disciples you've chosen, like there's some privilege here, or are you talking to everybody? And Jesus makes this distinguishing. He's like, well, actually, in some ways, you're the you're those servants that have been put over other servants. You've been entrusted to do these things. 
and it, it, it is really interesting to, to have him say, you know, if you think that it, he's taken a long time coming back and then the, he begins to, you know, harm other servants and to eat and get drunk. I mean, it's only, it, it's a parable, but it's only a little bit away from some of the abuses that have happened with church leaders, right? So Jesus knows there are going to be some people who are going to be entrusted with leadership in his church, and they're going to misuse it in a very selfish way. And they are more answerable for that than someone who might do similar selfish things, but are, have been entrusted uh, with less weighty responsibility. So there's 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 some differentiation, even though the warning is the same for everybody. Mm-hmm. One of the things I noticed is how harsh and vivid the punishment language is. Beaten with many blows, dismemberment seems a, a bit over the top. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> Well, um, two, two ways, two ways. One, one makes it better, one makes it worse, right? Um, so you, you ever read like old classic fairy tales, like not Disney-fied, you know, ones. Like if you read old stories, like the, the consequences that happen to foolish little children or whatever, is they get eaten by a witch and cooked in big old ovens, or whatever, you know what I mean? Like these vivid, strong things. So traditionally, when you told a story of warning, you, you would include these kind of, you know, over the top, you know, grotesque details to get people's attention to say, this is the point I'm, tr- I'm telling you, this is serious. Don't go wander off in the woods, you know, don't trust strangers or whatever. This, this is that kind of story saying, look, this normally this isn't what happens to a servant who gets in trouble with his master, but I'm trying to get your attention with this story. He's going to get chopped up. So that's part of it. The other way. It's like makes reading it, a Goosebumps book all it's over like, again. It's like a Goosebumps book. Um, <laughs> So in that way, it sort of makes it better. It's like, okay, it's a a storytelling technique. But here's the thing. Um, The reality of final judgment, like we, you know, we've got depictions of hell. We talk about fire, talk about those things. The the actual literal experience of those things, we don't know which particular of those details might be literal or not. It tends to uh, gesture towards something worse than being burned up, chopped up, beaten, so on. Like, Like sometimes we think, man, how harsh is this? When what Jesus is actually saying is the real consequence is harsher. Like I'm telling you something that will will startle you now because I'd rather you see the seriousness of this than something you can hardly imagine how bad it is if I talked about it in abstract terms. So there is something about uh, judgment that's worse (laughs) than what Jesus is describing. So you said you started that with there's two possibilities and one's worse than the other. Did you just only explain one or did no, you, no. Weave, so, you, you weaved both in yeah, there? Yeah, there are two things happening. Jesus is using startling language because that's how you tell a moral story in, in ancient world. You, you, you make something shocking like getting cooked and eaten by a witch, right? He's talking about a servant getting chopped up for disobeying. That, that's over the top in reality. But the real reality... So that makes it easier, right? Like it tones it down a little bit. Like, oh, okay. To say he's just being figurative and using hyperbole. Okay. But the reality is there's a real judgment and it's ultimate and final and and people are going to suffer for their sins. And so Jesus is saying, no, like this might sound shocking, but that's even worse. Like you should be, you should be warned about that. Okay. My question for you, Nikki, is there was dismemberment going on in Goosebumps books? (laughs) I, I don't really remember. Probably not. But you know, there's like... Scary depictions of things, you know what I mean? Like, I don't remember. I'd have to, like, go back in the books and look. I might still have them someplace. It's just scary. I don't like scary things. All right, well, this parable is... It's uh, scary. It's a little bit scary. 
You didn't see me. You didn't hear me mention anything about no, this. <laughs> no, Nick, Nick, when, when Clayton was going through that explanation, Nikki sat back in her I'm chair like, as if she wanted to physically remove herself as far as possible from the reality that was coming out of Clayton's like, mouth. I'm in a horror movie hey, right can now. Can I walk out of the podcast studio right now? I don't like this parable. Yeah. All right. I, he, he, let, let, me, let me say this about judgment. So people, people get, when you just think about the consequences by themselves, it feels very horrible. Like, how could God do this? What like what kind of mon- monstrous you know reality are we living in? Um, but notice what Jesus is upset about about people he's entrusted with the care of other people, and they use that to abuse those people. Like if he didn't react in a way that said, "I'm going to do something about this," it would say to everyone. Like think of think of just within the parable, if the master didn't show up and punish the manager that he put in charge, then all the other servants would think this master doesn't care about us in any way that this master is not trustworthy. He is actually harsh because he endorses what this person did. And so there is something fitting about that. Now, the vivid you know, imagery or whatever, that's that might be harder to swallow, but like it's appropriate and in fact desirable that he would he would judge these things. Yeah, if I can go back to the dismemberment just, just for a second, because you know, it's a wonderful thing to talk about. It actually was uh, in some ways part of public execution back then. So if this, you know, for them to hear this in a parable that Jesus is telling, they, they recognize that there is such thing as judgment and execution and dismemberment sometimes was a part of public execution, yeah. either before or after it happened. All right. Enough dismemberment talk, Nikki. Possibly not in Goosebunk books, but, you know, in general. All right, let's move on to the message for this parable. So what do you think is the main thrust of this parable? Why do you tell this story? Mm, I got my my message, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. (laughs) You went went from Goosebumps to Spider-Man? That's right. (laughs) Uncle Ben. I had to just... You know, lighten up it a little bit, but oh, but that good. is but it's true. Yeah, kind of like what you were saying though too. Just you know, with uh, with a lot of responsibility comes yeah, a lot what? of accountability. With a lot of responsibility comes a lot of accountability. That's pretty. Ooh. That's pretty good. That's Ooh. like that's right up there with kind of your wordsmithing Ooh, on these good. messages, I like Clayton. That. I like that. Uh, here here's what I've got, and it's a little bit of both of the parables. It's kind of combining a couple of things. Um, how about this? When you do what Jesus says. You don't need to be, worry about when Jesus comes. Hmm. Okay, so like a lot of people think about the second coming of Jesus and they're like, when is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And Jesus explicitly says, it won't be when you expect. <laughs> so stop trying to figure it out. Like that's the, the one thing you can guarantee is you'll be surprised, right? So instead of worrying about when he comes, worry about what he said to do in the meantime and and, and focus on those things, which we actually do know very clearly what he, he wants us to do. Um, so uh, do what Jesus says so you don't need to worry about when Jesus comes. All right, I'm going to uh, derive my message from the question Peter asked. Peter asks, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? And then Jesus tells a parable to answer Peter's question. So here's my message from the second parable. Everyone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not just for church people. It's not just for the spiritual or the religious. It's for everyone. Jesus is coming back. And if you take the message from the first parable and link it to the second parable, it is be ready, be watchful, because the master is going to return at some point, and it's our job to be ready for his return. And if you ask the question, well, do I? is there a loophole? Is there a get-out-of-jail-free card? Uh, if I don't consider myself a church person, can I just ignore this reality? What Jesus says is, no, I'm coming back one day, and everybody needs to be 
ready. In my dad's office growing up, he had this sign that said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. So, so I don't know if that was like, I was like, is that irreverent? Or this is like reminding you of, of like, look, actually, <laughs> Jesus busy. is coming. Look busy. Look. <laughs> so, I don't, don't know. I couldn't tell if that was good, good or busy. not. <laughs> but, and then he would head off to his Workaholics Anonymous support group. <laughs> All right. So we've done context, observation, message for the two parables. Now we move on to meditation. So for today's meditation, since we're talking about watchfulness and being ready for the second return of Jesus, I have a very simple question for everybody to think about for 45 seconds. Will you be ready? Think about that for 45 seconds. Okay, and we come out of meditation and we move into application, which is the so what question. How am I going to put this to practice in my life? So, Nikki, what is your application? Uh, is a question for myself. Uh, where am I not doing the things that I know I'm supposed to be doing? Because um, I think I think you we sometimes kind of fall into that mindset because uh, it's easy. Like, well, I I got time to figure that part out. You know, or I, I got time to figure that out and. Do you? I no. It's what? What am I? What? What? Or where am I not doing something that I know that I'm supposed to be doing? Uh, mine is is pretty much the same. I think asking the question, maybe framing it as, all right, if Jesus came back right now, mm. what is it that I wish I would have changed? You know what I would I would be doing? You know that if he yeah that's good. showed up in my life, walked through the door, and was like, hey, what's going on these days? <laughs> What would I say? Oh, I really, I should have been doing different. You know, it, it's that, it, it's that, uh, I, you know, I, I, this parable, I always want to change it into something more modern. So I think of like, um, like when, if you've ever babysat, you know, when you're younger and you're like, well, when the people come back, like, am I going to, if they walk in right now, are they going to be like happy that I'm eating their snacks out of their, <laughs> their fridge or whatever? You know what I mean? Like the things that you say, oh, I don't want to be doing this because they're going to come in and see that. Like, are there those things in your life? Hmm. That's interesting. You both had a, I don't know, maybe it's just the way I'm hearing you. You both had like a moment in time kind of answer. Like right now, am I doing something that I'd be proud of if Jesus showed up right now? Um, which I guess is okay. I mean, it's a good way to kind of check. Like if I wouldn't be proud of it when Jesus, if Jesus came back right now, I probably shouldn't be doing it anyway. I think of it more in the the ongoing sense of watchfulness. Like, am I living the kind, am I living my life in a way that I'm acknowledging the return of Jesus? Because I, do, I don't think that you can't just like, let's say I just like, do whatever the heck I want for a decade. I can't correct all of that in a day. You know what I mean? And it's not like Jesus is blind. It's not like he doesn't see <laughs> yeah, the totality right. of the way we're living our lives. Um, so... I was I hearing you guys right? Yeah. Yeah. It, 
and I th- I think it's I think it's both things. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, we want to be living a life that makes that that is reflective of the kingdom and how God would want us to live every moment of every day. But of course, we know that we're not gonna. Sometimes we're gonna fail at doing that. You know what I mean? Because of you know our own selfishness and everything. But it's it's that idea of. It's the same idea. I guess we're just kind of maybe bringing it to like this current moment, asking ourselves like in this current moment, am I doing what would make, would be reflective of the kingdom so that I keep doing it every moment in the future? I don't, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, Clinton's I, probably got a more no, eloquent I, way I, of, I might of, not. of saying I might that. Not. I, I, think, I think it's just a, a vivid way to think about it, to say, if Jesus showed up here now, are the things that I'm doing, saying, thinking, you know, the pattern of my life that I'd say, oh man, like I, <laughs> I should, I shouldn't be doing this. This is embarrassing for you to see. Now, the thing about these parables that creates a weird dynamic is that the parable creates a sense of total absence for the master, which the, you know the, the master in the parable cannot see what the servants are doing during the hours while he's gone, which is not true of Jesus. Right. So that's where it breaks down, right? Uh, but there is something where Jesus is saying there will come a moment where you'll be answerable for what's going on. So you you ought to think about that. You know, there's still a chance to 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 repent, change that, and so on before the time comes to to say that. So I think there's uh, there's a little both and of the ongoing and the here and now. What 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 if he showed up? Thank you for explaining that further. It makes more sense to me now because here is the <laughs> honestly. So I had this I had this story in my head. I was thinking like when parents go away and they leave their, they trust their kids to be at home, right? And let's say the kids throw a rager and they're just drinking all day long, right? And they know their parents are coming home at a certain point in the evening. And so they clean up the party and they're sitting on the couch and they're reading their Bibles when their parents come home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's the classic adventures in babysitting movie where exactly. like, you know, they're out on the town and they run and get into a bunch of crap and then like cleaning the house when they get home and scrubbing the counters down. Yeah, that's... But what I heard you saying, Nikki, was while they were throwing the rager all day, the parents could have come back at any point. So at every point along yes. the way, you should be asking the question, yeah. am I doing what I should be doing right now? Every point along the way. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Now I fully understand. And yeah. now I will say my my application is, oh, gosh, I just slipped my mind because no! I was... No! <laughs> come back. Come back. Oh, no. There it is. It just came back into my head. Here it is. To live my life in a way that acknowledges that Jesus is coming back and I answer to him. Ultimate accountability is answering to Jesus when he returns. There, There is a judgment. There is judgment and reward. And I ultimately answer to Jesus, which means, and this is the, this is the spot I'm going to dial in on, even the areas of my life that no one else sees. Mm. It's not just my public persona, my publicly observable behavior, but it's everything about how I'm living my life that is laid bare before Jesus when it comes time to answer to him. All right. Well, that's all that we have for you this week. Join us again next Monday for a new episode. We'll be looking at another passage from the Bible Savvy Reading Schedule. And in the meantime, if you're not following along with the reading plan, you can check out BibleSavvy.com to download it and start reading along. You can also subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at BibleSavvy.com. Lastly, tell your friends and we'll talk to you next week.